0: Hello and welcome to PCOM Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Feldstein. And today we're talking with Dr. Ann Contrucci, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at PCOM South Georgia. Dr. Contrucci is a board certified pediatrician and has been practicing medicine for more than 25 years. Throughout her career, Dr. Contrucci has worked in pediatric emergency medicine in the suburbs and inner city, as well as practiced primary pediatric care in suburban and rural settings. In private practice, Dr. Contrucci focused much of her time on patients with mental health issues. Dr. Contrucci is joining us today to discuss emotional and mental well-being in medical students. The topic is timely as a new academic year brings on new rhythms, especially for first-year medical students. These can include a demanding and stress-inducing class schedule and many other factors, like moving away from families, friends, and hometowns, learning new study habits, minimizing social activities, and facing financial difficulties. Today, we will talk about how we, as a college and as physicians, can destigmatize and address mental health. Welcome, Dr. Contrucci.
1: Thanks so much, Dr. Feldstein. I'm so happy to be here to talk about this topic.
0: Well, and we're glad you're here too. So, I got a couple of questions for you. Okay. Why is it important to address the topic of mental health, especially among medical students?
1: I think the biggest take home there is, first of all, I like to always say, you know, mental health is is health. It's, it's not mental health, it's health. We don't say physical health, right? So mental health is health. So this is something that affects everybody. Um, you can't have mental health without physical health or lack thereof. They are completely intertwined. So I think the most important thing to address the reason to address this topic is because it's something that affects everybody. I mean, you know, a few statistics of more than 20% of Americans are affected by some sort of mental health illness or as I like to call it, a brain-based disease or neurobiologic disease. So that's a huge percentage. And we know that when we talk about medical students, that those statistics are even higher. We know that medical students have, you know, potentially at least 15 to 30% higher than the general population, things like depression, especially. And we know that suicide is higher amongst physicians than the general population. In males, it's it's higher, it's 40% higher. Male doctors, it's 40% higher than the general male population, and 30% higher in female doctors than in the general female population. So this is something that we must discuss and we must do something about. And I think especially for our medical students, you you touched on it, you know, they are starting, especially these first years. I can remember way back in the day, as I'm sure you can, Dr. Feldstein, way back in the day, I was terrified as a first-year medical student. You go from being, you know, top of the top in your college classes, et cetera, et cetera. Otherwise, how would you have gotten into medical school? And now you're surrounded by everybody's kind of like that. There's the competition factor. There's the temperament factor. There's all the things you mentioned, moving away from home, having much more stringent studying that needs to be done, much more uh, knowledge that needs to be obtained, much more the volume itself, um, the financial hardships, all of that. So I think for medical students, especially, this is a topic that we just cannot ignore and must continue to talk about and, and not just talk about, but do something about it.
0: So what can students do to take care of their mental health?
1: I love that question. You know, I, I, I think that one thing that PCOM does is, you know, we've got, we've got resources available, which is wonderful. We've got, they are able to get counseling free of charge on all three campuses. We've got different crisis lines, et cetera, that are made available to them. Um, I think the most important thing is it's, it's kind of like what I tell my patients and their families whenever we are talking about mental health and health is you've got to have the four pillars. And the four pillars include, you've got to have, they're simple, but not easy. You've got to have proper sleep, which what medical student gets proper sleep, please. Did you ever get proper sleep when you were a medical student? I sure did. But you've got to try to have some kind of schedule of sleep. We know that sleep deprivation leads to all kinds of things that are brain-based foggy foggy feeling brain can't focus can't have attention you know you feel depressed you feel anxious all that kind of stuff so you got to have sleep you got to have nutrition what did we do as medical students i sat in my module and i used to eat teddy grams was my big snack and i would eat like boxes of teddy grams and i have no problem with Students eating Teddy grams, eat them, but make sure you got some protein in there somewhere too. So you've got to have some some kind of proper nutrition. The third thing is you've got to have some kind of exercise, and it doesn't mean you have to go to the gym every day. Get outside and walk. You know, we know that nature does wonders for our brains and for our calming um, and for centering ourselves and grounding ourselves. And then the fourth thing is the social support, and I kind of include social support to mean you know your colleagues, your classmates. I mean, these are people that are going to be your colleagues for your career, right? So learning to uh, trust them and just to, to rely on them and then family and friends that are outside of medicine. But honestly, you know, some of my best friends still to this day are from med school and residency and I might not talk to them for 10 years. And as soon as we do, it's like we never... Skipped a beat, so I think the social support, and then along with that is watching your social media and screen time kind of thing, because people get really, really wrapped up in that, and that really it has been shown to affect your mental well-being so very much. So those are kind of things that I that I start with with the medical
0: students. So how are our students trained to address mental health in their future careers?
1: As an entire system of medicine, not PCOM, not any one particular medical school. I think we do a pretty bad job of it, to be quite frank. Um, I think that there has been, there's so many things that have to be learned in medical school that this has kind of been pushed to the side, so to speak. You know, I don't think it's purposeful. I think it's something that just over the years has just not gotten a lot of attention. Um, We, we talk about boards. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot on the boards about behavioral sciences, for instance, but I think that as a complete medical system, that's from, you know, medical schools, residencies, hospitals in general, if you work for a hospital private practices. So I think our entire medical system has fallen down on this and especially specifically teaching, our students and our residents about the interplay between your brain health and the rest of your health. Because the last time I checked, your brain is actually an organ too. (laughs) So I feel like one of the things that's that's exciting is at PCOM. I know that we've got the wellness that the that the um, students do, and I love that. You know, they're learning about their own wellness because you know, physician heal thyself. You can't take care of anybody else till so you know how to take care of yourself. I'm involved with the uh, cribs courses and the complex readiness program, and one of the big things I like to talk to the students about is their self care. And how are you doing with your self-care? And we talk about mindfulness and all these things that used to be sort of considered, as I say, woo-woo, they're really not woo-woo. The neuroscience is there. So I think that's one of the things that that we need to incorporate more of that into the curriculum. I was able to do a couple of mental health lectures specific to pediatric and adolescents in our Life Stages course, which has now been incorporated into the curriculum in other ways, but I was able to do that. I was able to uh, assist Dr. Langenau in his fourth year medical student behavioral health elective. And one of the things we talked about was eating disorders. And every single student in the elective said, we have never had, ever had a lecture on eating disorders. And eating disorders affect 30 million Americans. So I think, I think that's what we need to do. We need to really look very closely and and critically at curriculums across the board in all medical schools and residency curriculums because these are things that just have to be included. It's it's health.
0: Mental health is health. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. So I know you've got a couple questions for me as well. I do. So this time, feel free to ask.
1: How do you feel that that physicians can best destigmatize and normalize the conversation around mental health, both with our own colleagues, other attending physicians, other faculty, and with our students and with our patients?
0: You know, I think, one, as a, as a holistic entity in the osteopathic profession, you know, we take the approach that you, as you said, I mean, health is health. You, you can't separate out behavioral from physical. They are one and the same. They're, they're totally integrated. and And the system over the last 50 to 75 years has done everything it can to separate the two from insurance companies who do behavioral health carve outs to just think about when you were in medical school and I was in medical school, anything that was behavioral health oriented I went to the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. right? And our training, you know, you, you were usually, you know, you were in a mental hospital, you know, seeing the, the worst of the worst in terms of burnout, schizophrenics, people that had to be institutionalized So you never really saw behavioral health in your training as mainstream. And, you know, anything came up in a a private practice office, it went went right to the psychiatrist. You're usually for medication. So we need to integrate it as part of primary care. So it's just part of the conversation. You check somebody's blood pressure, you check their mental health status. So it's part of the normal conversation that you normalize it, not by putting it somewhere off in a corner or thinking it needs to be handled by a specialist. By everyday conversation, you know, depression screening, three questions. You don't have to sit there and say, I'm now going to do a depression screen. You know, just like you'd ask somebody, how are they feeling? How are they sleeping? How are, you know, what's their eating habits? Everything you talked about, the pillars of health, affect both physical and behavioral health. And the way to destigmatize it is what we're trying to do as a society. I mean, Simone Biles has probably done more for behavioral health in the last week than anybody's done in in the last 15 years and of human performance. And I think we need to do a better job of integrating it into the curriculum the best we can. As you know, whenever we put something in, what do we take out? Because there's a finite amount of material that that people can learn. And and it's not even just... the you know more significant mental health conditions whether it's schizophrenia bipolar disorder but it's just normal everyday anxiety and depression and there's nothing abnormal about being anxious or depressed mm-hmm. i mean it's an you know people that are happy 100% of the time i worry about those people. <laughs> <I agree. laughs> and because you're feeling depressed doesn't necessarily mean you have clinical depression right But you just need to be able to talk about it in a safe environment so you know people don't feel judged and we don't judge people because they have high blood pressure type 2 diabetes we shouldn't judge people because they're depressed or they're anxious overall societal approach from education from practicing physicians and from the way healthcare is reimbursed in general you know, we try in our primary care clinics, we have a behavioral health specialist embedded in the health care centers. So if, you know, if a primary care doctor feels someone's got a behavioral health issue needs to be addressed, they bring them in the room. You know, there's no try and make an appointment with a behavioral health specialist would take six to 12 weeks. And especially, you know, this, you know, how long it takes to see a child psychiatrist. We're so we
1: don't even have enough. I did. A, I did a talk on that. We are so under underserved when it comes to child psychiatry. So exactly. So somebody gets out of the hospital for a serious um, uh, episode of depression, and and they actually had to be admitted. Well, if you just had a heart attack, there's no question or and you've got a stent placed, or you just had a cabbage done, there's no question you have an aftercare plan, you're going to start your cardiac rehab, blah, 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 blah. Somebody gets out of the hospital, after a serious uh, depression episode or perhaps a suicide attempt, well, you know, see a psychiatrist. That's the aftercare plan. Well, good luck with that because you're going to see a psychiatrist, if you're lucky, maybe in six weeks, and an adolescent one, a child one, maybe a couple of months, two to three months. That's your aftercare plan. We don't do that for other things, and you are so spot on about the non-judgment It's, you know, one of the things I think that we can do as faculty, too, if we're teaching, for instance, in PCS, in the primary care skills, one of the things I really talk about when I'm talking about, you know, as you're going through your soap note and you're taking a history and physical, when you're asking past medical history, you ask if there's any psychiatric history, and you don't say, do you have any psychiatric history, just like you say, Have you had diabetes? Do you have hypertension? Have you ever been diagnosed with depression? I mean, it's just part of the normal conversation. Family history, is there diabetes in your family? Is there anyone in the family that has been diagnosed with anxiety or bipolar? I mean, you just make it a part of the normal conversation. You are completely spot on with that.
0: You know, I think what else we're trying to do is we're trying to actually train faculty, especially in the first two years. To be able to help recognize students that are in trouble, Mm -hmm. or if students come up to them after class, how to direct them appropriately. It's actually in our strategic plan through student affairs to come up with you know mental health teams. You know we're we're doing it in terms of peer to peer with student clubs and student wellness initiatives. So we take this very seriously because you have to.
1: I, I love that, and I'm since I'm fairly new to PCOM, and I love the idea of peer led. Um, peer led types of activities and groups. We know that they work. Um, We know that faculty led types things work. I, I was involved in creating a peer led support group for physicians who were in the middle of a, a malpractice lawsuit and we had a peer support group um, that we trained and those kind of things work and I love the uh, the fact that PCOM does take these things seriously. We have all these mentoring um, kind of things that faculty do, whether it's formal or informal, and I think you're 100% just right on target that we have to do these things we have to be able to recognize it we have to be able to normalize it we have to be able to say hey come on let's talk go talk about this and let me let me see where we can get you some help just like if they came in and they you know were diabetic or something. i mean it's not any different and that's what we have to keep saying and and that's why i like to talk about it and i talk about it with students i've had so many students come up to me after some of my um lectures and say you know i had I had a problem with this, this, and this, or I was in treatment for the, I mean, just totally open and vulnerable. And that's really what, what has to happen.
0: Well, I think we both agree on that.
1: (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) How do you, as the president of PCOM, I mean, what a responsibility, how many things do you have going on? How, you know, at one time, blah, blah, blah. How do you take care of your own mental health? What do you do for it?
0: Well, I, I try and do the pillars that you talked about. I like to walk. Yeah. That's my favorite exercise. It also clears my head mm-hmm. yeah, and try and eat right and, and try and get enough sleep. And uh, I also do podcasts for my mental health. I like to keep work fun whenever possible. And I really enjoy doing these podcasts and it, it helps my mental health. I love and it. I think, you know, this year, especially during COVID, which was incredibly stressful for everyone. It was more important for us to be able to somehow, you know, get the silver lining through this. Mm -hmm. And I think these podcasts helped me communicate and stay in touch with our general community as a whole, both student, faculty, and alumni. And I just really enjoy doing that. I enjoy having conversations with different faculty members across all campuses. And I just, you know, I enjoy it. So I think, you know, getting enjoyment out of your work, which is something that we all do more than anything. We work more than anything. You know, we're supposed to sleep eight hours a day. We work closer to eight to 10 hours a day. It's really helpful to enjoy your work. And also, you know, your relationships with your loved ones and family and friends. I mean, that's, that's your support system.
1: You know, the support, you know, you mentioned COVID and that was something I was going to mention too. You would mentioned Simone Biles and man, I, she's a rock star. She truly is the GOAT. I mean, just the fact what she did coming out and saying, can't do it, can't do it, going to take care of me. And then COVID, COVID totally brought to light so much of a, what a crisis we have in brain health across this country. I mean, we have a huge crisis. It's been there for years. There's plenty of people that are screaming about it, but it hasn't been, as I call it, the cool kids disease. And it's time for it to be the cool kids kids issue. It's time for it to be the cool kids issue because it really affects everybody. And I think COVID, you you mentioned social support and how you utilize that for your, to, you know, as your touch point for your well-being. And it's so true. What did COVID do except show us that we really are connected and isolation is really, really bad. You know, there's a great book that the former Surgeon General uh, Vivek Murthy, I don't know if you read it or not. I believe it's called Together. It's awesome. And it does, it talks all about the isolation, what it does to, oh, guess what? The rest of your health. And what does loneliness and a lack of social support do to, oh, the rest of your health? So again, coming back to that integration, I love what you said about that. And just if you're able to take care of it, and none of us are perfect at it. I'm not, you know, I embark on mindfulness stuff all the time and then I'll do good for a while. And then I'm like, okay, I just can't do this right now. So it's it's about just continuing to have the conversation and be aware and to talk about it. Every, anybody and everybody will talk about somebody's heart disease or their cancer diagnosis and they'll have overwhelming support. We need to have the same thing for our brains when our brains are sick. And even when our brains aren't sick, but when like you said everybody has a little bit of anxiety. When I talk to students about test anxiety, I'm like, if you have no test anxiety, I'm a little worried about you. If you're going into your boards and you have absolutely no anxiety, I'm a little concerned. So a little bit's okay. It's when we cross over, when, when there are red flags that, that we, need to, we need to be aware of and do something about.
0: Well, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Contrucci for joining us today. As we have seen firsthand during the COVID-19 pandemic, it's important for all of us to take care of ourselves first. The PCOM community has a responsibility, especially to our students, to ensure that they have the tools necessary to succeed, whether that be through counseling, wellness courses, and mentor to support them, or just a simple reminder to take time for themselves. To listen to past episodes of this podcast and become a subscriber, visit our SoundCloud page or find us on iTunes by searching Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm Jay Feldstein, and this has been PCOM Perspectives.